Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, today to the bowels of the mossy oak land enhancement building the studio the studio jeff and i think that's probably the best term i've ever heard to describe this place it is it is so so look i'm bobby cole and next to me on the right over here is the man of mystery lanny wallace Mm. and then over here to my left is the we lovingly refer to him as the tree nerd and that's dudley phelps hey guys in the house raising the roof (laughs) <laughs> so this is our second podcast. I'm, uh, you know, we probably ought to tell everybody that we were ranked after only one podcast in the top fifty of all outdoor. We were podcasts. we were in the top fifty of the fifty podcasts that are, that exist for the outdoors. <laughs> yes. So I think there's forty nine, and we were in the top so fifty. So you're saying we made the list? We may. I think we made the list. I never really saw the list. That's just what I heard. I was on a list in high school one Ooh. time, but. I don't want to talk about that. Ah, yeah. You're probably on multiple lists. <laughs> Most wanted. Y'all remember in high school they used to talk about your your uh, the the per, your personal record that you, you if something went wrong it went on your record. On your record, yeah. yeah. Where is that record? I don't know. Same thing, you know. We talk about with the Federal Trade Commission. I've been worried about the Federal Trade Commission for years. Well, they're for real. Yeah, but you can't call them. Oh, I bet there's somebody there. You I've can. tried. I don't know. I think there's just, just a bunch of filing cabinets up there. Well, all right, let's move on. <laughs> Dudley, what's going on in the world of native nurseries before we get started on this podcast? Well, we're just kind of getting ready for our up-and-coming season. It's just so hot right now. There's mm. not a whole lot of orders or tree planting going on, but we're just doing a lot of prep work. So in uh, another eight weeks, you'll probably pull the curtain and just let everybody pour into the website and start ordering we trees. will open the floodgates but we we do have a few items kind of trickling in sprinkling yeah yeah we got some good looking crops over there so it's super gonna, excited about it yeah it's a good it's gonna be a good year kind of worried about you know the reason we hold off shipping is because the fear factor of plants withered you know in oh. hot boxes in the summer we know the northern guys are getting ready, you know, to put some stuff in the ground. So just be really precautious about. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Right now, the what about what, biologic? Yeah, the guys need to be enjoying the bio rocks right now because uh, it's so hot, mm-hmm. and the the deer, especially the bucks, are hitting those rocks. And if you want to start, you know, toward kind of about now, 
the end of July, 1st of August, is you can really see what a buck's going to be. And so it's time to put those rocks out if you hadn't already. Mm-hmm. Get cameras out, too. Get your cameras on them. Get prepared. This season cometh. And, you know, it seems like this season is going to be here before we know it. It seems like it, since this pandemic's going on that people are trying to buy seed a little early. Yeah. I mean, I can feel it. I know you can, too, watching no the Shopify. No doubt stuff. about it. It's the fear of no football. Well, and you think about, you know, the amount of more people that will probably be hunting this fall, just to your point, because of the pandemic and the things that are going on. It's going to be interesting. I know we heard, you know, turkey hunting was through the roof. Um, we're going to hear from some guys at the MDWFP today on some deer stuff. So Yeah. So the tip of the day would be if you're wanting to buy a specific blend of food plot seed, you probably ought to buy it early so you can make sure you have it. Mm-hmm. And we're doing uh, – we got a pretty good ship one to own trees too, so you can actually buy your trees now and we'll ship them in the near future to you. So mm. there's a, a, a date selector on, on native nurseries too, so if you want to go and get stuff ordered – not trying to sell too much. <laughs> Get them while it's Get them. hot. There you go. Limit two per customer. Hey, that sounds like a good promotion. Mm. Well, so this uh, today we've got William McKinley from the Mississippi Wildlife. I can never remember all those acronyms, but uh, they'll Give be here. Give it to him, Doug. Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Otherwise known as MDWFNP. Yeah, that's good. So he's going <laughs> to kind of give us an update. You remember back last year, about this time, there was a tragic flood going on over in the mm-hmm. south part of the Mississippi Delta. and Kind of give us an update on the wildlife in that, that from that scenario. And then just an overall... Um, discussion about Mississippi's deer herd. I expect we'll probably get into CWD a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of hard not to. Yeah. Do, do you know William? We've we've met at trade shows and such in the past. It's hard to find somebody you don't know with all right. the colleges that you've attended and all the parties that you've been to. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult to find somebody yeah. that doesn't have some kind of connection. To he you. he's a good guy, and we're Mississippi's fortunate to have him. We are. We've got an unbelievable state game park agency. Yeah, we do. Well, if y'all are ready, uh, we can get our producer over here, Jason Cleveland, to get William McKinley on the phone for us, please. Hello. Hey, William. Hey. Well, how are you doing? Tell us about what all is going on with uh, your department. Well, we're doing well. And, uh, you know, things have gotten hot in the deer's world and, we're beginning to get, as as usual this time of year, we get a few sick deer calls. Uh, I think we're probably having a little bit of a blue tongue, better known as, as hemorrhagic disease outbreak in a few parts of the state. That's that's normal. Uh, we should be getting a little of that. And you'd rather have a little of it every year than a whole lot one year. So, But overall, things are plugging right along. We're gearing up, getting ready for, for the 2021 deer season. One of the things that I wanted to ask you before we kind of really get started about this time last year, there was this uh, there was a flood in part central part of Mississippi, and we kept hearing about how bad it was and how rough it was on the wildlife. And we actually, toward the end of the summer, sent some food plot seed down there to be to donated to be planted on some management areas. But I haven't really heard any updates about how that deer herd is doing down there. Could you tell us a little bit about that? We, yes, I can, guys. Uh, I was 
I was over there several weeks uh, during the summer last year. We were uh, that flood was devastating, and I want to point out that it wasn't just last year. It it happened in 2018, not as severe, and it happened again this year, and just went down uh, back in May. And you did probably there hadn't been much press on that at all, but it was just a a couple of feet lower this year than it was last year. But 2019 was the the flood of record in that area. And for most people don't understand we're we're dealing with a a flood that partly was caused by the Mississippi River, but partly was caused by rainfall. Uh, Years ago, a, a series of levees and drainages were set up in that area and Basically, you got one water control structure, the steel bio water control structure, that drains an area about the size of Connecticut. And the Mississippi River was at flood stage. It was during in a record flood, so they couldn't open the gate to let the rain fall out. The water from just south of Memphis all the way through the Mississippi Delta was running down to the bottom. It's kind of like a giant bathtub, and we couldn't pull the plug. So areas that normally would have uh, abundant wildlife on them were 16 to 18 feet deep. A lot of those deer had to flee for many, many miles. Uh, I would have loved to, you know, you always look back and go, boy, I wish we'd have had this. I would have loved to have some deer radio calls to see how far they went. But we just don't know. I, I can tell you. From some of the areas right next to the levee there, uh, many of those deer would have had to went 15 to 20 miles to reach dry land. Wow. So we had a half a million acre lake created in the south delta of Mississippi. The the majority of two whole counties were underwater for seven months. So it was devastating. Uh, We... Our agency began monitoring and, you know, to begin with, the deer were a whole bunch of deer were pushed up on the levee system. A lot of the deer went ahead and went down the levee system, or as the water come up, they fleed into the hills, into uh, across Highway 3 into Yazoo County. So, uh, but a lot of deer chose to try to ride it out, and it probably done that for years uh, in short-duration floods. So we began riding this levee system, conducting surveys, and... We began official surveys, uh, let's see, they began in mid-June. We began to see mortalities, and we said, okay, we, it got really hot about the end of May, and kind of some record-level heat in May of 2019 toward the end, and these deer didn't have shade. Um, and that was hurting them even worse than the fact that they didn't have very much food. They didn't have any food. Um, a lot of people don't realize the deer can't digest summer grasses like Bermuda, Bahia. Uh, that is no nutritional content. In fact, we necropsied a few deer. That's just a field autopsy of deer that had starved to death with their bellies full of Bermuda grass. Mm, mm. So they can't digest it. And But we started a 26-mile route that we were running one time a week. Well, technically twice a week. We would ride the top of the levee one day in a truck and count live deer and we would ride the toe of the levee right along the water line 
in a UTV a different day of the week up and back and and count mortalities. And during a six-week time frame there, we documented uh, 503 mortalities just on the levee. And that was, uh, we were allowing some supplemental feeding. That's also in our CWD area, chronic wasting disease area. So we had to make a big choice there, uh, uh, you know, but the risk of the spread of the disease was happening on a much larger basis due to shade. Uh, the competition for what little shade was available was, it was intense. I mean, that deer were crammed into those areas and, uh, it was it was a really bad situation, and there, you know, it, you just kept looking at it, thinking, "Hey, it'll get better. The water's got to come down soon." But it just kept getting worse and worse, and carried all the way into August of last year before that water finally receded. And the number of deer left on the levee system by that time was very, very few. Uh, now, I will say that we then moved in as an agency and started working with landowners. We went to the public land. Uh, uh, Panther Swamp National Wildlife Refuge cooperated with us and put out cameras, several private landowners, and we rounded up every camera we could find. And we got out 314 cameras in 17 clusters, so 17 different properties. And we started these cameras on a uh, grid system that was developed by the MSU Deer Lab. And we were able to run these cameras so they were 500 yards apart and set up. We tried to get either 12 or 25 camera grids, and we didn't bait them. Uh, they were just put out and left for the entire month of October. So we... Went to a GPS location, installed a camera in an area within, basically within sight of that point that looked like the best area we could get deer on camera. A lot of deer came back. So where we walked into an area with that deer had been pushed out now for over seven, eight months. And we had seen a lot of mortalities. Well, we got uh, 8,000, almost 8,800 pictures of wildlife and 78 percent of those pictures were deer so we had a lot of deer now antler quality was greatly diminished uh these deer were you know they were the antlers they didn't have enough to eat and i will say that the fawn crop was only five percent so the flood really decimated the fawn crop over in that part of the world last year Harvest this past season, we had implemented some more stringent regulations on harvest for that area. Uh, some of those will continue for this year. We cut the bag limit. We shortened some things down. and uh, Plus, the hunters over there, in many cases, made the decision to not harvest very many deer, even if, even if it was legal. But harvest was reduced in that area. On, uh, we looked at our public lands and our private DMAP properties over there. And it was reduced by well over 50% last year. And we don't know how many deer we lost. We also don't know how far CWD may have gotten spread due to that. If one of those deer, we found two positives in that area, uh, about seven miles apart, north to south. And we had not been able to do very much sampling after the second positive was found. 
uh, as it came in toward the end of the 2018-2019 deer season. So, and that's when the water was coming up. And uh, so we really don't know, we don't know the impact that the, the flood had on the disease. Did it push it into the hills? Uh, it's quite, quite likely that it did. Uh, we just don't know. But it was, it was absolutely devastating what that flood did. And I haven't even, I'm just talking deer here. I'm not even mentioning the hundreds of homes, churches, businesses, and all of that that were impacted by that flood. But uh, that, that may be a lot longer answer than you were looking for, mm. but uh, they're recovering, and they're looking. We're we're getting reports of phones over there right now. I've already had people sending me pictures uh, from late June into July of pictures of phones and the deer herd in that part of the world. It can recover very fast. Uh, some of the most fertile ground in the U.S. So that's where we stand on the flooding. Well, that is it's devastating to think about that happening over there. And, and boy, it's, uh, it kind of makes me proud to think about the, the hunters in that area just policing themselves. And and uh, even though it might have been legal to shoot more animals than they did that they, they held off, that's that's what, uh, in my mind's eye, that's a true hunter. That's a gamekeeper. That's somebody that's more interested in the, the big picture than just instant mm-hmm. gratification. Well, well, I'll say Mississippi hunters are made that way, and uh, I'm, uh, it's always made me proud to work with with our state. I've been here for 19 years now, and you know I mentioned DMAP, the Deer Management Assistance Program, that that started in Mississippi. A lot of people don't realize that it started in Knox in Kemper County, Mississippi, and it was the first back and forth uh, that was really out there between a wildlife biologist and a deer manager. And it started, well, we can say it, it really kicked off kind of a deer management revolution that started back in the early 80s and rolled forth. So uh, Mississippi has always shown, Mississippi hunters have always shown the, the desire to try to manage that herd. What a, what a, I didn't realize it had started here in that deer map, the D map program. I remember it. That's, I remember uh, it in the 80s. It's pretty, I think that's what most all the states call it that. In some form or fashion, most states that have white-tailed deer have copied it to some degree, but it, it was a, a MSU pilot project uh, between them and our agency and landowners over in Kemper and Knoxville counties is where it kicked off back in the, right around the end of the 1970s. So, And I still work with some properties that have been on DMAP since 1980. I've uh, been managing, collecting data. Think of that data set, you know, it's oh, a 40-year yeah. data set that we have of a deer herd, and it's changed over those years from back when people shot anything with a, a, a bone projecting out of its head to now targeting, you know, fully as, as old a deer as they can get them. So, and going from almost no doe harvest to more does than, than bucks in the harvest to try to keep their herds balanced. Hey folks, it's Jeff Foxworthy. You know, when I was a kid, my dad bought back the farm that he had grown up on, and I absolutely loved that place. I knew every square inch of it. It truly was my favorite place on earth. And when you're looking to find a favorite place for you and your family, Mossy Oak Properties can help. Visit mossyoakproperties.com to begin your search today.
As you guys gather information and go through your 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 business every day and every week and every month, do you guys keep up with what's going on in other states with the whitetail population? I was just just wondering. People listening to this podcast are all over the country, and if 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 uh, if, if, you, if you could shed some light just on overall how whitetail deer are doing. You know, I would say, guys, there's not a, a week really that goes by that I'm not speaking to one of my cohorts in another state, uh, whether it's an adjacent state or whether it's a, a state out of the Midwest or the far north. Uh, we communicate a lot on the, the deer coordinator level. We have a, uh, just last week, we have a, a deer working group meeting that we have among the southeast. We had that meeting last week and communicate of what's happening. And we give updates to each other of what's happening state to state. And, you know, it would it would take the rest of the time and then some to go over what's happening in every state. But in some some states, hunter numbers are trickling up, and a lot of them, hunter numbers are trickling down. Uh, deer, total deer harvest uh, kind of varies state to state. You, you kind of see ebbs and flows. You know, uh, you'll see one state starting up, and then you'll kind of reach a climax, and you'll head back down. And that's what we did in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we kind of topped out around the early to early 2000 mark, and then our, our population started dropping a little bit. But part of that was by design. We had We had a lot of deer back then. Maybe a few too many in a lot of places, and and so, but that's the same with a lot of states. So that's where collecting data over time can help you, and and it helps every one of us in in all the different states, and it also helps us to get together so we don't repeat bad decisions, so we can see what what didn't work here and what is working there. So, but to short answer that, we communicate a lot. Uh, both uh, professionally and as as friends after we develop that professional relationship. So right now, if a guy's in a hunting club and he's out there working on the hunting club, getting ready for food plots, if he sees a suspicious deer, sees a deer acting funny, what should he do? Oh, well, so call our, our 1-800-BE-SMART number, our hotline, or he can log on, and if he has the, the MDWFP out, uh, where he can check in his turkey or, or whatever. He can go on that out, and he can note right there. We have a sick deer reporting category within that app. He can go online. We make it easy to let us know, and we want them to let us know. In fact, I've already dealt with two today, just this morning. Uh, we've got one. We were able to get the whole deer, uh, and I actually got the whole deer to the lab, Um uh, if I had to take a guess, I'm going to guess it's going to be hemorrhagic disease, but we'll know in a few days. Uh, dealt with one a couple of weeks ago that uh, was turned out to be another CWD positive up in Benton County, Mississippi. Uh, so, but we deal with them. We're we have people ready to respond. We try to find the closest person, uh, biologist, or officer available, and try to get them to that area to get samples on that animal and figure out as best we can, what's wrong with it. And a lot of times, uh, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but it's been kind of hot. <laughs> and uh, 
if it's been dead more than a few hours, we usually can't get anything from it this time of year. In the winter, <clears throat> that changes dramatically, and we can we can get samples for days after uh, the animal is deceased. But this time of year, we got hours, not days. I know I'd heard, and Dudley, I don't know, Bobby, if you've heard too, you know, I think it was last year we were talking about CWD, uh, and, and I, I, the conversation was about how uh, – Mississippi was the first, one of the first with DMAP, one of the first states to, you know, have antler restrictions. Uh, and conversely, we're the first state to drop those antler restrictions to try to encourage the harvest of more younger bucks actually to reduce the uh, spread of CWD. I don't know if that's just something I picked up or is that, is there some truth to that, William? Uh, we're not one of the first states. In fact, Many states that have already found it have dropped some antler criteria. Yeah. We did lessen our antler criteria for one of your three buck bag limit. So you're allowed three bucks. Two must meet the antler criteria, and we allowed one. We call it buck of choice. Well, I'm so, glad you told me that. <laughs> uh, that. That actually gives so much more flexibility. And I'll tell you, you know, when we came out with the antler spread criteria, the spread and beam link, yeah. Uh, nearly a decade ago, that was in the original recommendation was to have one buck of choice to give people the freedom to landowners and deer managers in Mississippi. That's not just for CWD. Uh, that's for that guy that gets to hunt two days a year and yeah. he wants to shoot a buck. Is he doing harm to the deer herd? Probably not. Uh, He's not going out and wholesale killing a whole lot of deer. It's also to you who may be managing a property very intensively and you have a deer that you know when you look at that buck, he's a three-year-old or older deer with a very poor set of antlers that don't make state legal. And you can remove that deer. And so it gives flexibility of management of and I'm glad we were able to implement it. And it also gets some yearling bucks into the harvest. Now, it doesn't mean you have to shoot a small one. And we, we emphasize that with people. It means that you can if you so choose. So I guess the, your three buck the, the, then the logic that I was using, or I thought I was using, that CWD is more rapidly spread by younger bucks trying to find their home range. Um, is there any truth to that? It is truth to that. Uh, as you're looking at, well, we think CWD spread mostly in a truck uh, hmm. through moving pieces and parts, either live deer or dead deer parts, and moving them across the country. Now, once it gets somewhere, how does it spread? Well, these one-year-old bucks, they, they do disperse. And usually that's going to be several miles or a few miles, I should say, from where they were born. So you see that deer, you see them, and it's usually happening. The deer we're seeing dispersed uh, that we've monitored typically happens right before rut. Uh, so you got that deer that you see is still following. It's down. It comes out in the food plot early. It's a spike, three point, four point, And you see him in November, and then all of a sudden he takes off. He leaves his dam, and... And he's going off, and sometimes it happens a little earlier, but he'll go a few miles. He'll find him a new area, he'll set up, he'll establish a home range, he'll call it home. If he happened to have been infected, he just took that disease a few more miles out. Now, mm -hmm. 
we just are finishing up a study with MSU. And by the way, that relationship with our agency and MSU, one of the best relationships in the nation from a research and state agency standpoint. Uh, we have gained so much information from uh, the MSU Beer Lab over the years. We're just finishing up a, a radio collared study of 55 adult bucks that we had GPS collars on, taking a reading from September to February every 15 minutes. These were all three-year-old and older bucks. We have gained a wealth of knowledge from this. This was These bucks were actually collared down in Madison and Yazoo County, Mississippi, along the Big Black River. Uh, the Big Black separates those two counties there. And we were able to get this large sample size of adult bucks and a large number percentage of these bucks are moving greater than 10 miles on an excursion. So a few of them had home ranges. Almost 10% of them had home ranges that were 10 miles apart. And what I mean by that is right now, that typically related to agriculture. You've got a mature buck. He's living in a soybean field. He's hanging out with a bunch of other bucks. They're all growing their antlers. They're getting pretty close to being done growing their antlers now. Here we are in early August. Uh, they'll stop growing here pretty soon, go through a month to hardening before they shed their velvet. And But they're all hanging out together until about October. Then they're going to split up that bachelor group, and some of them are going to stay fairly local, and some of them are... You're going to have a few, what this study found was about 10%, may go as many as 10 miles to set up a range that they'll live November, December, January, February, March, and then they'll come back. We had one that was going, he was going almost 15 miles from his summer range. He was doing it around the same week in October, and he was coming back around the same time frame in the spring. And the crazy thing is this deer to go from point A to point B, which was 14 or so, 15 miles apart, he was walking like nearly 40 miles to get there. He would cross the Big Black River uh, one one point, actually, when it, when it deemed at 15 minutes, put him really close to a gas station parking lot. <laughs> and uh, like right by the outside diesel pumps there, and he headed on down, he crossed Highway 49, he recrossed the Big Black. He crossed the Big Black three times to get to where he was going. When he could have just walked straight line and got there. When he came back, he came back the same path. And he's repeated that journey four times with the radio caller. So it just really uncovered how much these deer are really moving. So y'all have been there. On, you, you've been running cameras before. You've, you've had them out or you've been hunting and you've been running cameras and you, you know you got this eight point and this seven point and these smaller, smaller eights through six points. And you got these couple of good deer and all of a sudden something walks out and you go, where did he come from? Well, those are the excursions. So every one of these deer were going, you know, several miles during the rut. They would all of a sudden get off to chasing a girl one day and wind up miles away, stay two or three days and come back. And every one of them basically were doing that. So that deer that you've been watching for years and years, it suddenly just disappears. He may have went off on an excursion and he may have got shot miles away. And then again, you may be the benefactor of that and see something show up that you had no idea was in the world. So, 
That just goes to show you never know what's going to show you up. You never know. <laughs> yeah, my cameras were devoid of mature bucks last year, but based on that research, I knew to go sit and hope for the best. So, uh, William, before we move on to another topic, I, I want to ask this one question. <clears throat> as, I, mm-hmm. as I travel around with biologic selling seed and – I'll end up being someplace and not not necessarily know anybody, but I'll just be listening to the what the local deer hunters are saying. And many times I'll hear them say, "Boy, if I see a CWD deer on my place, uh, I'm not going to say anything to anybody because I don't want the you know the game wardens coming in there and shutting my place." There's a fear factor there. Is what I guess what I'm trying to say. What's what's a good way for me to help? Um, make sure that, they, that these guys do the right thing and they don't have this fear factor going on in their mind? Well, there is a fear factor there, and we, we certainly do. Uh, we, we, we notice that. We see it, and we see a reluctance to sample. Uh, one of the things I will point out is finding CWD early. Uh, states like Illinois are able to go in, and they are – Trying, they are trying to reduce a deer herd right around the positive, but they're showing some success in that. But if you wait till it's gotten overwhelming, you know, I'll take Benton County, Mississippi, one in six bucks we sampled there last year were positive. Two-year-old and older hunter-harvested bucks. So at what point do you want it? There's a there's a time frame there where we really need people to be sampling. And, you know, we're not coming in to try to remove deer from a property. Uh, after we found the first positive, we did do some removal on properties that, that allowed us to come in. We never force our way in. And we only did that that one time after that first positive. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't know where the future holds for how we manage CWD. Uh, I know as we're watching through, uh, well, let's think about this for a minute. Uh, we see how other states, it goes back to that communication with other states and what's working and what's not. So we understand that hunters don't want to, they don't want that change. Uh, in many cases, one of the biggest fights we have is to try to stop feeding. Uh, that is a big one because it can bring deer into close concentration. And as we battle COVID, uh, we know what bringing humans into close concentration will do. It will help spread an infectious disease. The same thing happens with CWD. Um, you know, the best scenario is, is to limit that feeding. I would think statewide, uh, food plots spread deer out over a much larger area. Um, versus feeders confine everybody to one small area that they're putting their head in. So, but we do understand that there is a reluctance and we really need people to, to work with us on this sampling. Uh, we really do. This coming year, we're going to be implementing some other techniques that will uh, allow hunters to try to reduce the deer herd further. We want to use the hunter. I'll say that point blank. We want hunters have shown we started this conversation off 
talking about how good a job hunters have done in managing across this state, whether it be with a flood, whether it be with managing, by the way, Mississippi hunters harvest more three-year-old plus and four-year-old plus bucks than just about any state out there. We're top when you look at the numbers from QDMA. So we know hunters have the desire to manage the deer herd properly. We want them to do it. Uh, and I will stress again that we have never gone in anywhere and removed deer that uh, we didn't have permission. We only did that targeted removal one time. That would have been back in the spring of 18 after our first discovery. So beyond that, we're sitting at a 22-county CWD zone now, 19 counties in one zone and three in the other. So, But we can't beat this, and we can't manage it and hold it where it is if we don't have the hunter's help. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say we don't want to look up and be dealing with high prevalence rates when we first find something because your options at that point are much more limited than they are if you find it in a very low prevalence in an area. Then you have choices. Uh, You have choices, and uh, the goal of most states is to try to keep prevalence low uh, as opposed to you know, many states are battling in whole counties where the prevalence is 20% or higher. Uh, we don't want to get there. You know, the research shows that when this prevalence gets to the numbers out of Wyoming and, and other states are showing about 25 or so percent, it starts reducing the deer herd. We don't want this disease to manage our deer for us. We need the hunter's help to manage this disease and manage the deer. We don't want to let it manage the deer. Mm. Well said. When I first bought this farm a short time ago, every single field was growing up with brush eight and 10 feet high. But it went from that to this. And even though I planted biologic with very little moisture in the ground, I was really amazed at the results. I just sat in this field with my wife as she shot her very first deer We could not be happier. We made a memory that will last a lifetime. All because of the effectiveness of the best food plot seed on the market. Biologic is better seed, pure and simple. Log on to plantbiologic.com to learn more. Well, you are pretty excited that they gave that bucket choice. I can see your eyes. I'm lit up. You know, that bucket choice made. I'm really proud of mdwfp um honestly i've always been i've always bragged on our uh on our game laws and i think we keep the wildlife at the highest priority so uh i'm proud of what we do in the state not only as hunters but as our agencies too and the officers you know you run into an officer yeah they are always nice and curt i mean it, right. they're, they're you made guys. me forget my question <laughs> all right i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, but, oh, yeah, I'll go back to it. There it is. It jumped yeah. right back in my head, no problem. Um, just what you're hearing from the other states as far from a CWD perspective, um, you know, we obviously here in Clay County, we most of us here have a Alabama license, and we spend some time in, in Alabama too. So, uh, And I, I, I think to Bobby's point earlier, you know, maybe just in the southeast as a general um, of your general knowledge of what's going on out there. Sure. Uh 
deer coordinator in Alabama is Chris Cook. He and our friends, we speak often. Um, I know they're sampling quite a quite a high number of deer. Not as many as we are, but we are we found it. So we're going to increase sampling around those areas to look for prevalence. But uh, in Alabama, they're doing they're doing a pretty good job of sampling around the state and have increased sampling quite a bit over the past couple of years. Tennessee, uh, of course, they found it right after we mm-hmm. found it in North Mississippi. And uh, they found it in those uh, counties there along the border. And that's where it seems to be centered is there. Uh, now, they have already found it as far out as Jackson, Tennessee, and as far west as right off the Mississippi River, uh, all the way above and northwest of Memphis. So they have quite a large spread. Uh, it seems that outbreak there is our North Mississippi outbreak as well. It seems to be centered uh, a few miles above the state line in Tennessee. This this disease kind of is a it kind of expands. So you can kind of look back at where uh, it'll it'll tend to have kind of a nucleus where the highest density is, uh, the highest prevalence rather. Uh, Arkansas. Uh, several, several thousand samples. They found CWD back in 2016, in February, I believe it was. And since then, have found several positives, have a pretty large CWD zone up in northwestern Arkansas, but disturbingly found one positive about 70 miles east uh, this past year from any other positive they had found over around Independence County. And, uh, that one is not very far west of the Tennessee. It's kind of one of these deals where, okay, where did that positive come from? Um, if you go north about 70 miles, you hit Missouri where there are positives. You go west, there's positives in Arkansas. You go east, there's positives there in Mississippi, Tennessee. So uh, really don't know how he got there. Um, but Anyway, that one is that one's cause for concern as um, as we watch this. That gap between the positive outbreaks is narrowing drastically once they found that deer. Louisiana really picked up sampling. Uh, all of southeastern states are looking. Louisiana hadn't found it yet. Alabama hadn't found it yet. Georgia hasn't found it yet, uh, and and we hope they don't. Um, but we're all talking and we talk. In fact, I've got a meeting later this week with Missouri, uh, Arkansas, and Tennessee as we'll be talking about the outbreaks that we're dealing with. We we're, we talk quite frequently about Good. it. Good. So. I know that's important. Is there any new research on CWD that you know most listeners probably haven't heard about? We've all, you know, it's 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 been on the map for a couple of years. It's been kind of mm-hmm. a popular thing to talk about uh is there, is there any new data oh there's a lot of studies ongoing uh it was a recent study came out where uh they did detect prions in semen that was of, of very much note okay. um texas recently found it in a red deer uh, that was there's only been a couple other red deer uh detected with it but i don't know how many have been tested either so that was kind of newsworthy. Uh, there's still work and still hope on some vaccines, and there's a lot of work being done. But 
CWD has hit a national level of awareness now, and there are uh, national level meetings ongoing and national level research. We're, here in Mississippi, we're participating in a strain typing study. We're going to be participating in a another study of techniques and management tactics that's uh, being undertook by University of Cornell and uh, Michigan State. Uh, we're working together with states all across and even pro, uh, even even Canada. Uh, the strain type and study we're working with out of University of Alberta. So we're working on a, na- a continent-wide basis to try to battle this disease. So white-tailed deer, guys, I-, I didn't get into this earlier, but they mean so much. Well, to me, to y'all, but to our entire state. Our you know, economy. Yes, it's a uh, huge, one, huge deal. Go to 2011 numbers, $1.1 billion, with a B, dollars. Uh, is hunting in Mississippi. And that's from 2011, with deer representing 80% of that total. So deer are, they're the workhorse here. They're, they're driving uh, so much jobs, uh, small communities even, from hunters, the influx of hunters. People kind of ignore that. And you take some of the smaller communities and hunters leasing land in that area, coming in, buying food plot seed, buying the diesel fuel, buying the, renting the tractor, buying a tractor, buying a UTV. I could go on and on right down to the supper they have at the little store that's down the road that night that uh, keeps a mom-and-pop restaurant open. Uh, so they mean so much. And then take, take into account, um, I've processed my own beer for many, many years. And uh, so I know that when I process an adult doe from central Mississippi, I'm going to get about 28 pounds of lean trim meat. That's me doing it for years and years. You hunt somewhere different, that'll be a different weight. But where I hunt, that's what the does are producing, and that's what I tend to put mostly in the freezer. Uh, buck's kind of a rare thing around me. Uh, so I shoot. I shoot those. But uh, I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know if I remember. I don't think I've ever killed a limit of bucks ever. Oh no! I know I hadn't. Ever. Oh, I've killed you know, quite a few limits of does guess. though. <laughs> <laughs> Take a guess at how many pounds of venison that is on Mississippi tables. It's over six million pounds if you just look at how many deer were killed last season. So when you start breaking that down into quarter-pound meals, you're talking about 24 million meals. How important is that to the people of our state? Uh, I stress deer mean a lot to us. They mean a lot to us. Just, you know, I've devoted my whole life to the study of this creature and the management of it, and I'm very passionate about it. So, uh, But they're very important to Mississippi. Yeah, the the general public does just does not know how important it is overall. Definitely hugely important to us here. We've all kind of staked our careers on it. (laughs) (laughs) As have I. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I did have one more question. As gamekeepers, you know, obviously we want to be very good, you know, in our reporting. We want to have our our harvest um, analyzed for the disease and reported accordingly. Um, from a land management perspective, if there's one thing we should or shouldn't do, and you can, if it's one not enough, you can throw two out there. Um, but what would those be? And if you got three, that's fine too. 
collect data on your deer herd. That's the biggest thing. And I, I talk to a lot of people, and, you know, if you're not collecting data, do you know that what you're doing is working? Right. Or if you're, if you're not collecting data, I oftentimes tell people, oh, you're doing shooting deer. So if you're not taking body weights, looking at the ages of those deer, and you don't have to, you can learn to do that yourself. Or you can work with a biologist in doing it, but monitor what you're, what you're harvesting, what's on your property. Record observations. Write down what you're seeing and get a few deer tested. You know, we've got drop-off locations. We're going to be running well in excess of 40 deer head drop-off locations across the state this year. That we're going to be, we typically empty those freezers. They're, they're just little chest freezers sitting out. You fill out a little card, about the size of an index card, and tear off the receipt. But drop it in there, and we try to get your results back in as timely a fashion as possible. We, we empty those freezers once a week. Um, but collecting data, that disease data, looking at another thing. You know, I mentioned hemorrhagic disease. I mentioned that we want to have a little of it every year. That sounds crazy to some people. But if we don't, our deer herd gets naive. It's kind of that herd immunity. You kind of hear talk of that with this COVID-19 outbreak. We're headed toward herd immunity. When will it reach and will, will we reach it? Uh, well, deer in the southeast tend to have immunity, but you're able to follow hemorrhagic disease, blue tongue outbreaks, by looking at the amount of hoop sloughing. Where, you know, I'm looking at my left thumb right now. I hit it with a hammer about a month ago. I'm still wondering if it's going to fall off. It's starting to flake. Well, that's what their hooves do whenever they uh, get that high fever from blue tongue. And you can harvest the deer, which has already gotten perfectly healthy because it had blue tongue in July or August, and now it's recovered from it. But you can monitor that over the years of, okay, well, we've had – we have – Half our deer this year that we're harvesting had slough and hooves. We're probably going to have slightly fewer deer in the deer herd because we lost some. And as you're, you're, that's the type of data I'm talking about. And once again, whether you work with a biologist, we're, we work with folks for free out there. Uh, uh, all they got to do is call us and get up with our private lands folks and get on DMA uh, if their property meets qualifications. And we have other options within DMAP within that. But anyway, um, that's the biggest thing I would tell people because otherwise everything else you're doing, you can't measure it. you got to have a guide to measure if what you're doing is working. Let the deer herd tell you if what you're doing is working. Can't argue that. No. And Dan, Lanny, you love data. Oh, yeah. It's a data-driven <laughs> world right now. You all not have a food plot out there without a cage sitting out in it somewhere to monitor deer use on your food plot. You know, that's you're so right. And and oftentimes that's such a simple thing to do, and, and folks just don't think about it. It's always an time, afterthought, you know? yeah. I should have put that's, a utilization cage out in there, and then I don't know. That's right. And I always throw out, always put it as a, de- as a designated marker. So when you take a kid hunting or somebody who hadn't been hunting a lot, you always know that that thing is exactly 100 or exactly 75. You always got that marker in the field. You don't have a rangefinder. You don't need one. Uh, you know, you don't need it that day for that part. 
So anyway, just the secondary use for that cage. Don't that's, put it right by the stand. Yeah, that's come a, that close. That's a but, really good suggestion. <laughs> so, uh, but that's just one more way of collecting data. You're monitoring. Now, sometimes it may tell you you're not that good of a farmer, and you may not like to see that result, <laughs> but uh, it'll still tell you that. Well, there's so many factors, but but the the whole idea, going back to your point about gathering data, it's 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 well taken. And if we're going to be able to understand and manage our properties, we got to have that information. Yeah, we do. Small price to pay for the, you know, the resource. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And plus, it'll make you a better gamekeeper. You know, knowledge is power. Well, you, you know, uh, William, this uh, we've been here almost an hour, and I think there's a. I could keep talking uh, beer for the rest of the afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> well, we, we we could listen. You know, there's a lot of things that we probably want to get you back and and discuss. Um, and what I'd also like is to leave with you is uh if there's anything you need us to help get the word out that if you would call and and let us you know help you guys we 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 are you know toxic from just everybody here is just super supportive of and i'm gonna butcher it but this the mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Yeah, it's got a. We know you were born in Alabama, but you could at least learn how to say MDWFE. Well, our agency has always had a good relationship with Mossy Oak, and that has shown through through the years. And we thank you for that, and we will take you up on that because there are messages that we're we do need to get out, and we'll be making some some I and E pushes as. It gets closer to season and pick up on those and spread the word on them and whether it be for CWD or new management techniques or, or whatnot. So, uh, and I encourage hunters, you know, I'll say, I guess I'll end on this. We don't really know what this season's going to bring. We know that, uh, I, I know what I think is one of the, one of the direct competitions to hunting. I think it's college football and I like college football too. So I'm not, but those two, People will not go hunting to watch a ball game one afternoon, and that's fine. we got a long deer season, but I don't know the, the status of that. It's kind of still a little uncertain. So we're actually looking at, are we going to have more hunters in the woods? Are William, we going to see an increase? Oh, yeah. Deer Get ready. You're, yeah, we've been talking about this, too. It's uh, so they're practically coming. sold out of food plot seed in July. So we're having to get more. It has been crazy around here. Uh, and yeah, you know, people saw a lot of people saw the price of you know uh, of meat this year. Mm-hmm. It skyrocketed there for a time frame, and I felt like I was sitting on a gold mine with my freezer full of venison. And uh, so we think there'll be a lot more people hitting the woods this year. And uh, so making sure they're they're educated, making sure they're safe. They need a hunter safety course, and they need a license. Uh, but beyond that, getting them out there and getting them to harvest some deer and all, that's going to be good for the herd and good for hunting in Mississippi in general, a resurgence. Yeah, that really is. And you, and, and hopefully these people that participate in it will enjoy it and it'll become a part of their lifestyle mm-hmm. again. That's correct. Yes, yeah, right. Yep. Whether they are coming back into it or whether they're just starting off. We, We've seen a trend in hunters declining in Mississippi and over most of the country. And 
maybe this will be that resurgence that brings people back into it. So, uh, and not just deer, small right. game, not everything, yeah. small game, uh, everything, including fishing. So, uh, yeah, you know, William, I've noticed that um, a few months back that you got Mississippi is the first state to do an all internet hunter safety course. So now with this COVID situation, and you probably don't, the officers don't want to have people gathered up in rooms and, and teaching them that a guy who wants a hunting license that doesn't have hasn't gone through that course can go online and, and right. take it. And for if anybody wants more information on that, they can call our office and talk to our hunter ed department. But yes. Uh, we That's are great news. A, I saw all that. internet. Yeah, I didn't. So, hunter safety course now, and we encourage people to to get certified and get out in the woods. There you go. Opens October one. You can start throwing throwing arrows at them then, and uh, Saturday before Thanksgiving, which even earlier than that with youth season, two Saturdays, uh, three Saturdays before Thanksgiving, uh, the youth can get out with with rifles. So that's not far off, guys. Uh, we're already getting that little false, false fall this week in this cool front pushing in. It it did not feel like August this morning when I walked out. No, it felt good. It's better later. Felt in the great. Week. And I'm yeah. looking across the table, and uh, I know with uh, with Lanny and with his son Hayden, there are some does that are in trouble. This you fall. better, you better believe it. <laughs> better believe it <laughs> well william we appreciate you being here well you took a well more than an hour out of your day to be here and we sure appreciate it well you're quite welcome man i'll be happy to come back sometime and we we talked around the world on topics today if we want to call call back and try to focus in on some be happy to do that in the future well sure now is there any phone numbers or websites or email addresses you want to give out before you get off absolutely going to give our website out uh W-F-P, and that is the first letter of Mississippi Department Wildlife Fisheries Parks.com. Folks can go there, and there's a wealth of information there. They Our drug hunts uh, are for deer and uh, some small game draw hunts on some of our wildlife management areas just opened up for applications. We got some really premier areas out there that are managed for older age class bucks. Uh, it's kind of hard to get drawn, but you can't get drawn if you don't put in. And uh, so encourage people to look toward those. And if they want to learn more about CWD, that's there. Uh, all the public land, Mississippi has an abundance of public land. And all the license information, anything they want to know about our agency should be on that website, mdwfp.com. Well, that's awesome. I think Lanny's freaking out over here when you're talking about You ain't got to tell him everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, look, y'all are doing a great job. There's uh, uh, Mississippi's lucky to have you guys, and and the people of Mississippi is – or the people in Mississippi are very fortunate to have such a great wildlife department because you guys really take it seriously. Well, I will say I work with some of the best in enforcement officers and wildlife biologists in the world. So uh, they're dedicated toward preserving and conserving uh, this resource we have. So It's an important heritage, and it's, it, uh, it really is. We need it to be around. Okay, William, well, we appreciate you, and we'll have you back on in the future for sure. Sounds great. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thanks, William. Thanks, appreciate William. you, buddy. Well, that guy knows deer, doesn't he? He does. Absolutely. 
Hey, I'm Toxie Hayes. And I'm Cuz Strickland. You know, here at the Mossy Oak brand, a primary thing that we all believe in is the good that we do will last long after we're all gone, which is why we challenge everyone who loves the outdoors and the critters who call it home to participate in the second annual Mossy Oak Properties National Day of Conservation. That's right, Tox. It's Saturday, September the 26th. We challenge you to do something for conservation. Plant a tree, clean a stream. Hey, introduce somebody to the outdoors. We want everybody to know that if you love the outdoors, you're the tip of the spear and you're a part of this conservation effort. Absolutely. So the most important thing is, are you in? Do you accept the challenge? I accept it. Do you accept it? You know, he, he hit on it there at the end, but the tradition of going hunting in Mississippi is just, it goes back a long way. It's huge. And um, there, you know, I'll say it, I've, I've been to a, a CWD meeting, and uh, they're so good at, you know, managing the, you know, deer hunters are probably the most opinionated people out there. No question about it. And they have to handle all the politics of it and everything. And they're, they're just so professional. Mm -hmm. Glad to have them. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, you know, the more you learn about them, the more you can appreciate them. Cause again, I, I knew that we were a, a leader in the nation in, in deer research, but you know, the connection that our, um, our parks and fisheries division has with the actual hunter is quite impressive too. Well, guys, we've. Uh, what you, what's the next one going to be? I don't know. Maybe we can do another one. Why don't we do this? So, if somebody listens to this podcast, just give them your email address. It will give them Dudley's email address and your phone number. It's, it's dphelps at mossyoak.com. They can email with a. Here's what I want. Bobby's know cell about. phone number is. <laughs> oh, man. oh man! All right. Well, I appreciate all the hard work, Jason Cleveland, man in the board over there, and and he's on the mix table. Did, did a great job. You know, we've got intern Sam over here keeping us company. Fact checking over there. Yep, yep. And if Dennis can get Sugar Red as a sponsor, we'll be we're a hundred percent open for it. Yep. Maybe so, you could have. Maybe they could do a line of permethrin infused boxers. You know, honestly, the guys at Game Hide, you know, they have that... Um, uh, tick stuff, that's that tick, right. Tick stuff. So, I, I assume it would work for red bugs. Why not? They don't even know what a red bug is up there. <laughs> All right, well, look, y'all check out Ferminator. I think it's Ferminator.com, and uh, they have a great product. They are, they are a big sponsor of the GameKeeper, so we want to give them a shout-out. But other than that, we'll have another podcast coming up just as soon as we can. Which are probably, I'm guessing, based on the pace we're at right now, we might get one out in about two weeks. By turkey season. It's uh, <laughs> theferminator.com. Okay. And Perfect. it was Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. I'll never remember yeah. that. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.